Good morning, everyone. One more time. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you so much. What a joy and honor to be with you again this month. I want to invite you to just pray with me as we open up God's Word. Father, thank you again so much for the privilege that it is to gather together. We ask for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be with us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Listen for God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Friends, I love the book of Acts. And this passage specifically is a passage that I've read and studied and even preached on probably over hundreds of times. And even today, every time I read this passage, I still get the goosebumps. It's a beautiful description of the early church. And it's not rocket science. The author of the book of Acts gives us a very clear and simple description of the church. The church influenced, moved, compelled by the Holy Spirit, they were instructed to commit to doing four things. To be devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That means no matter what happens, even 2,000 years later, the church, even this morning, we gather to do those four things. No matter what happens in the next chapter here at Willow, it's these core commitments. And I find it really interesting, coincidental, that as your church embarks on this 11-week journey entitled, We Are Here, we're again saying these are the values that we're about. But the word that really sticks out to me in verse 42 is the word devoted. They were devoted to these things. Because if we're honest, sometimes as Christians, it could feel very um, routine. It could feel very obligatory. But the fact that they were devoted to these things, telling us that they cared. They were intentional. They were passionate about these things. And so as a result, these Christians gathered together, they served one another, they served their community, and verse 47 tells us, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
As we embark on this series and this sermon, I thought it might be helpful to give us a working definition of a church. If someone were to ask you, how would you define a church? I wonder what you might say. Here's my best attempt to give you a working definition of a church. And by a church, I'm not talking buildings and lights and fog lights and instruments. What and how do we define the church? This is my working definition. The church is a family of imperfect women and men, young and old, of all backgrounds, ethnicities, stories, who gather together by the grace of Christ to worship Jesus and depend on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be on mission together for the glory of God. That's what it means to be the church. Now the good news is this, just as our brother Nick shared in his spoken word, if you're here this morning and you acknowledge your imperfect, then welcome to your family. Welcome to church because God can use each and every single one of us. Now, another reason why I love this passage is that it is one of many examples in the scriptures that deal with food. And I don't know about you, I love food. As we read here in the book of Acts chapter 2, they gathered together, verse 46, right? They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The Bible is full of stories of communities gathering together around food. Something special, something intimate happens when we break bread. For example, in the Old Testament, God feeds the Israelites through the desert, proving again and again that God is our provider. As we saw in the spoken word, Jesus and the Last Supper, Jesus feeds his disciples and then washes their feet. Did you know that Jesus loved parties. His first miracle, for example, was changing water into wine at the wedding feast. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He often invites himself to other people's homes to say, hey, I'm having dinner at your home. How about Jesus feeding the miracle of the 5,000, just counting the men. If you were to count women and children, scholars tell us that likely about 12,000 people were fed. John chapter 21, where he tells Peter and the other disciples, come and have breakfast. Food's a big deal in the scriptures. Revelations chapter 3 verse 20, it says these words. Here I am. This is Jesus speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, back in the time of Jesus, 
when you ate with someone, this is actually the reason why the religious leaders, many of them, did not approve of Jesus. Because when Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and those that were not the who's who, what he was saying is not just, I'm eating with you. But back in the time of Jesus, when you ate with someone, what you were also saying is, I choose to be in friendship, in relationship, in lifelong covenant with you. That's the reason why this morning we have this beautiful table with all of this food and dishes here at this table as a symbol to let you know that Jesus has a great feast prepared for you. And he welcomes each and every single one of us. That's the first point that I want to make this morning. Jesus is our great host. We gather together. You matter, I matter, we all matter. We're grateful for our preachers, our musicians, our instrumentalists, our service hosts. But let's remind one another again that it's not about you. It's not about me. Jesus is our great host. It is never about us. It's not about charismatic leaders or preachers or musicians. Jesus and Jesus alone is the bread of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We worship Jesus and Jesus alone. That's good news. Now, the second thing that I want to share with you is that We need everyone at this table because Jesus wants everyone. There's a parable called the parable of the great feast in Luke chapter 14. And this parable is a great metaphor, an analogy of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the great host and he has this great feast. And this party isn't just for the elite. It's not just for the rich or wealthy. It's not just for the powerful. It's not just for the religious leaders. At this table, everyone is welcome. You, me, us, and them. Even those that don't look like you, feel like you, worship like you, think like you, speak like you. And even though I've said this numerous times before, I'll say it again. Even those that do not vote like you, the table of Jesus Christ is deep and wide. It is beyond what we can imagine because this is the love of God. At the table of Jesus The misfits, the lonely, the hungry, the poor, you're welcome at this table. Whatever your political affiliation, even if you cheer for the Green Bay Packers, you're welcome at this table. Some of you are shaking your head. At this table, we need people of every ethnicity, tribe, background, gender, people with questions and doubts. You're welcome at this table. We need the global church. We need sisters and brothers and families who utilize the care center. We need our special friends at church, not just during special productions like Cinderella, but every single week we need you at this table. 
There's room for the young and old, those that have wheelchairs and special access needs. There is room at the table of Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing that I want to share with you. The third thing is that we need everyone to not just be at the table, but we need everyone to bring the gift of themselves and their time, talent, and treasures. That means, in other words, to be a follower of Jesus is not simply to become a spectator, a bystander, or a consumer. You're not just a statistic, a seat warmer at church. For example, I want you to imagine a feast where there's food, but there's no people. Imagine a feast without smiles and joy and laughter. That's simply not a feast. You matter. What you bring to the table matters. Now, To help drive the point, I think one of a a good analogies to help this point stick to your heart and mind is to introduce you to an analogy of a potluck. See, I think church is like a potluck. Show of hands, how many of you have been to a potluck this past year? Raise your hand if that's you. So nearly everyone, how many of you have actually hosted a potluck? Wow, not many, very selfish people here. (laughs) My wife and I, we are hosting a potluck this coming Friday. Now, as a pastor for many, many years, uh, I don't want to boast, but I feel like over the years, I've grown to become sort of an expert or guru on all things potlucks. And over the years, I've realized, I've done some unscientific biased research on the different types of potluckers in the church. And so today, there's many, but I would like to introduce you to seven different types of church potluckers. Now, why seven? Because it's a biblical number and because we have time for seven. So let's go through the seven types of church potluckers. May some of you be convicted. (laughs) Here's number one. It's the no-show. It's the non-committal person. It's the person who has a hard time committing or says I'll be there but does not show up. It's the person that rarely responds to your text When you say, are you coming? Are you down? It's the person who does not respond to the Evite invitation. It's the person who responds, if they do, I'm not sure. I might be busy. I don't know. I might be doing my hair. I might need to wash my car. It's December in Chicago, you liar. (laughs) And this is what the word of God has to say. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, serve one another in love. Now what do I mean by this? It means that you cannot serve one another in love if you don't show up. One of the most powerful things that we can do in building a culture of servanthood is to show up. 
to be present. We're not asking you to be perfect because that doesn't exist. There are no perfect women or men in the kingdom of God, but there are people that are willing to say, yes, I will show up. I will be present. I will be there. Here's potlucker number two. It's this. It's the person who brings nothing. Now, listen. I'm not trying to slam on people. Once is okay, twice is okay, three times. But after 20 times, bro, come on. Now, here's the connection to church. The reality is, hear this clearly. Every single one of us has something to bring. Did you know that the word of God says every single one of you, we have gifts and talents and stories. One of the worst lies that the devil has told any of us might be these words. You're useless. You're worthless. You're good for nothing. And I pray that those words would never, ever come out of our lips as we speak to other people let alone believe it in our own hearts. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, such beautiful words from the scriptures. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Be reminded again this morning that you are a child of God. You are a handiwork of God. God has given you gifts and talents and skills and stories, vulnerability, even pain that God can use to bless other people. Here's potlucker number three. It's the person who brings food for one. (laughs) One chicken wing. One serving of salad, one piece of Hawaiian bread. Now, I know for a fact that a Hawaiian bread package comes with six pieces. I once asked, true story, a friend of mine who brought that one piece of Hawaiian bread, how come, what happened to the other five? And he said, I ate the other five on my way to the potluck. We all have friends that only bring one piece of food. Now, what does the word of God have to say to the potlucker who only brings one piece? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 says these words. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is a promise from God. God desires to bless you so that not only do you enjoy those blessings, but that you can share those blessings upon other people. Friends, be generous. Now, in our Western culture, when we think about generosity... We have this unhealthy infatuation that generosity only equals financial resources. That's not what the word of God is saying. It's not just about 
financial resources. There is so much to who we are than just simply our income and what we give or don't give. Our time, our talent, our stories, our vulnerabilities, our smile, our hugs, our words of encouragement. Friends, be generous. Be generous with your life. Here's potlucker number four. It's the person who complains about everything. The person who complains about the time, the venue, the location, the host, the food. The person who's complaining about the person who only brings one piece of chicken and the list goes on. Now, if I make a connection to church, perhaps it's the person who finds purposely, intentionally reasons to complain. I don't like the church size. I don't like it's too small. It's too large. I don't like the music. I don't like the sermon. It's going too long. What's up with this Asian preacher? And the list goes on and on. Now, friends, listen. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have the freedom to critique. But if our posture is to always look for reasons to complain, you will always complain. And we need to liberate ourselves from this obsession to constantly look for things to critique. The word of God in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, particularly around servanthood, says these words, Offer hospitality. Another word to translate that word in Greek is offer servanthood to one another without grumbling. Do it with joy. Do it with love. Here's potlucker number five. It's the person who eats everything. (laughs) Now, right now, some of you are looking at your neighbors or your spouses. Now, when I say the person who eats everything, I'm not talking about the person who gets a little dabble of each single piece. I'm talking about the person who literally eats everything. Like it's the final meal before the second coming of Jesus. Like, you know that after you've gone to numerous potlucks with this person, you tell your kids, whatever we do, we must get in line before this person. (laughs) What does the word of God have to say? Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Can you imagine if every single person that called Willow their home church adopted this posture? I want to defer to you. I want to honor you. I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. Here's potlucker number six. It's the person who won't try anything new. Perhaps they're the person who brings their own cornbread and it's the only food they're going to try during the whole meal. The purpose 
And the joy of the potluck is the fellowship. It's the conversation. It's able to share stories. And yes, we're also able to try and enjoy foods of different families and cultures and backgrounds. I'm not trying to critique the casserole, the beloved casserole. But can you imagine a potluck with only 20 pieces and 20 dishes of only casserole? How about, and I've been to a few, um, I've been to a few church men's group potlucks. And when they come to this men's group church potlucks, it's usually 20 bags of chips. <laughs> now, I don't care if you bring it in a fancy red dish, it's still chips. Like how many different types of chips can you enjoy in a potluck? You see my point? I love Korean food, but the joy of a diverse potluck isn't to have 20 Korean dishes. It's to enjoy the offerings of my community, family, and church. So think about some of the food represented in our church family here. When I think of potluck and I think about some of my friends in our small group, in our section, in our community, man, I think about southern chicken grits and barbecue. Praise Jesus. Or I think about friends that would bring just such fresh, warm baguette and cheese from France. Or about Swedish meatballs, not the ones from Ikea, authentic <laughs> Swedish meatballs. Have you ever tried risotto or lasagna from Italy? Or how about masala or spicy curry from India? Have you ever tried authentic street patai from Thailand? Or dim sum from Hong Kong? Or baolong dumplings from China? How about sushi, sushi, sushi? <laughs> Kebabs from the Middle East or from Turkey specifically? How about tacos and enchiladas from Mexico? I don't know about you, but when I think about the potluck, I realize we need the beautiful diversity of the table, including our culture, language, stories, music, and of course, the food. We need it all. Listen to what the Word of God says in Revelation 7, 9. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The Word of God gives us a clear vision of what eternity looks like. So why wait for eternity when we can do this right now at the table? Right now. So friends, if you're here and you're wondering, do I belong? The answer is absolutely. 
Not only do you belong, but we need your stories, your gifts, your bodies, your language, your culture, because in the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is always room for you. Here's potlucker number seven, and it's the person who says, we are here. And that's the person that we're trying to encourage as you build your culture for the next chapter here at Willow. The person that says, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for blessing me. Thanks for inviting me. The person who says, Jesus has blessed me and I want to be here to give a testimony of God's faithfulness and I want to bless others. The person who says quickly and regularly, I appreciate you. I'm so thankful for you. The person who says, you know what, it's not much, but I brought something to contribute The person who says, wow, what you brought is so good, so cool. Tell me more about this. Tell me more about the story of what you brought. It's the person who says, let me introduce myself. Here's my story. The person who's inquisitive of other people's stories. What is your story? I would learn, love to learn more about you. The person who says, how can I help? The person who says, I would love to work together. Can I help clean? Can I help set something up? That's the person who says, we are here. I'm so grateful that your church, you're spending 11 weeks in total, and then three weeks just on this teaching about service and servanthood. And so you'll be learning more about the practicalities of the how. But today, as I wrap up my sermon, I want to speak to you more about the posture. And the best analogy that I can give to you that I've thought of, that I can think of, is the analogy of the difference between being a guest and a host. A guest and a host. Now, in my opinion... The challenge of the modern church, especially the Western modern church, is that we have too many people, Christians, acting like guests when we're called to be hosts. That's the difference. If you were to come to my house, I want you to know, man, you will be treated well. I will greet you at the door Samantha, John, I'm so glad that you're here. Can I take your coat? How was your day? I would love to have you come in. Let me introduce you to my wife and to kids. Please have a seat here. Do you want anything to drink? There's a certain posture that we hold when we say, you're a guest and I'm a host. Now, after a while, the assumption is that you're no longer guests at a church, if you call Willow Creek your home church, whether it's five months, whether it's five years, whether it's 20 years, and the list goes on, my point is, at some point, you're no longer a guest. Embrace the invitation and privilege to be a host. Now, let me break this down, because this is really, really important. It might sound a little in your face, but I say it in a spirit of love to each and every single one of you. If we're honest, we live in a very consumer 
individualistic, what's in it for me society. Now, I get it, we're all consumers, including myself. We feel like it has to speak to me, resonate with me. But if we're not careful, that larger cultural expectation begins to infiltrate into our church where we now begin to think, what's in it at the church for me? Now, is it a valid question? Yes. But if that becomes the only question that we ask, if that's the totality of our thinking, then we have been sucked into a dangerous, unhealthy, toxic way of looking at church. What does that look like? Well, if you only care about yourself, then it wouldn't surprise me if sometimes you'll come late, you'll leave early, get what you want, sing a few songs, make sure Fatai and the other musicians are singing on point, you listen to the sermon, it better be good, it better be entertaining, and it sure better not go over 35 minutes. You say hi to just your small group of friends every single week, and then you go. And friends, listen, I don't care what size your church is, that's not church. We come because we're the family of God. Listen to that description that I shared earlier with you. The church is a family of imperfect women and men, young and old, of all backgrounds, ethnicities, stories, who gather together by the grace of Christ to worship Jesus, depend on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be on mission together for the glory of God. Don't just come and go. Don't just come and go. So what do I mean? It's a posture. See, there's practical reasons and there's spiritual reasons. Here's the practical reason why we need you. Some of you who work in the corporate culture, you may have heard of the 80-20 principle, where 20% of the company does 80% of the work. Some church sociologists have studied that in big churches, it becomes a 90-10 principle, where 10% of the church does 90% of the work. Now, I'm grateful that that's not the case with Willow. But my point is, do we really want to celebrate 20, 30, 40%? My point is, every single person that calls Willow their home church should embrace the posture of, this is my church, Jesus is Lord, I'm going to be a host. The spiritual reason is this. It's because it's about your discipleship. When you serve, you grow. It's about faithfulness and obedience. It matters to your growth as followers of Jesus Christ. The posture says, well, Jesus saved me, so I'm going to live a life of gratitude. He washed my feet, so I'm going to wash the feet of others. Jesus served me, so I'm going to serve others. Jesus blessed me, so I'm going to bless others. Jesus fed me, so I'm going to feed others. Jesus gave me water, so I want to quench the thirst of others. Jesus forgave me, so I'm going to forgive others. Jesus loved me, so I want 
to love others. Jesus invited me to the table, made room for me, so I'm going to make sure that I invite others to the table. Can you imagine, just for a second, can you imagine, can you dream the possibilities if every single person in all the campuses around Chicagoland, 20,000 people said, I'm going to adopt this posture of being a host. Can you imagine the revolution? Not just in your church. I'm talking in our lives, in our communities, in our cities, and beyond. Let me close with this. Last night I was preaching at the Saturday night service here. And I guess a couple hours after service, a young woman sent me a note who attended service last night. And she met an older gentleman here at Willow, and she sent me this note, and with permission, I wanna share this note with you because I was in tears. It was such a reminder of how simple posture can have such a deep, profound impact. I'm going to read it as this. I'm not going to change a single word. Listen to what this young sister said. Your message today inspired me. I am relatively new to Willow, and although I try to approach a new person each time, it can sometimes be overwhelming with such a large crowd. But today, on my way out, I wished a man a good day. And he said, one day at a time. Which led me to ask him why and introduce myself. Tom is his name. And he recently lost his wife. His eyes welled up with tears. And I gave him a hug which brought a smile to his face. I first asked him if I could give him a hug, and he seemed a little shocked. But when I reassured him that his wife would probably want to accept the comforting hug of a stranger, he wrapped his arms around me, and I could feel his heart breaking once again. While I may not have healed the wound or made a huge impact in his life, we chatted about his recent loss and the loss of a fellow friend of his, and I believe we both felt a sense of community and belonging. Time was my God moment for today, and I look forward to many more to come at Willow. It's powerful. So friends, you are invited to this table. You belong. And not only do you belong, would you make room for others? And would you take this posture, posture of being a host that I believe can revolutionize, transform, and help Willow get ready for the next chapter so God, thank you again so much for your kindness, your mercy, your grace to us. Thank you for inviting each and every one of us to this table. Thank you that you now also 
encourage us to bring the gift of our lives, our time, talents, and treasures. Thank you that together, as we depend on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to be on mission for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.